from the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Welcome to Washington Watch, friends. My name is Joseph Backholm, and I am sitting here with Tony today. So glad that you are with us. If you are watching on TonyPerkins.com or at NRB TV, you might notice that it looks different. That's because I'm coming to you today from Phoenix Seminary. This week, I have had the privilege of being together with the nation's network of family policy councils. If you don't know, there is a national network of state-level organizations working in their state capitals to do exactly what Family Research Council does in Washington, D.C. If you want to find and connect with the one closest to you, go to frc.org slash states. And they are working diligently and courageously at the state level. You would be encouraged by everything that is happening at the state level all over the country. And it was my pleasure to be part of those conversations this week here in the great state of Arizona. As a reminder, the program is at, can be found online at TonyPerkins.com. That's the website. Today on the program, if Congress redefines marriage in federal law, what would the immediate impact be for religious freedom? We're going to talk about that today. Congressman Bob Good will stop by to give us his advice for how the Republican Party should be responding to this attempt to repeal the Defense of Marriage Act. Also, should Christians care about the legal definition of marriage since the biblical definition of marriage will never change? We'll talk about that today in our worldview conversation with David Clausen at the end of the program. But first, our headlines. It was indeed a busy week for House Democrats as they passed, with a discouraging level of Republican support, a bill to redefine natural marriage as well as a bill to protect and promote abortion under the guise of the so-called right to contraception. This week, we passed, as you know, the legislation to, to um, respect marriage, uh, to, the, uh, to actually debunk the de so-called Defense of Marriage Act and enshrine the re respect for marriage in our um, law. It seems Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi thinks she's identified wedge issues both to split the Republican Party and to fire up her left-wing base as we head toward the November midterm elections. With me now to discuss this is U.S. Representative Dan Bishop, who's a member of the House Judiciary Committee and the Homeland Security Committee. He represents the 9th Congressional District of North Carolina. Congressman Bishop, welcome back to the program. Hi, Joseph. I'm glad to be with you today. What has been your what is your reaction to the events of this week? I don't think anyone saw this coming a couple of weeks ago. How are you taking it all in? Yeah, the Democrats are pulling out all the stops right now, Joseph. They want to get it's uh, it, you know, it's interesting. If a party uh, suffered as badly in the polls as they do, you would if it were Republicans, we'd be trying to backpedal. Democrats always go harder and harder at the same um, radical goalpost. So uh, we've had, you know, I've been in the Judiciary Committee. They've got a, a gun ban, really widespread weapons in common use. They want to they want to ban, uh, and 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 also the you know the contraception bill that was in your uh, your news stories, and 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 then this uh, this ridiculous bill of trying to redefine marriage or redefining marriage in terms of Congress. The Supreme Court already has done that, obviously, and it's this is unnecessary, but it also is quite dangerous. 
In one sense, I'm glad that this is being discussed because I think it's helpful that Americans understand this is not a settled issue. I want to do a little bit of history for the audience today and go back to just 2008. Here's what then-Vice Presidential Candidate Joe Biden had to say. Let's play clip one. Let's try to avoid nuance, Senator. Do you support gay marriage? No, Barack Obama nor I support redefining from a from a civil side what constitutes marriage. We do not support. Congressman Bishop, that was just 14 years ago. We now know how President Biden feels about that issue, as well as everyone in the Democratic Party who unanimously voted to redefine the definition of marriage. Why do you think things have changed so quickly? Uh, well, of course, you have the, the, the couple of decisions from the United States Supreme Court. The first one that uh, invalidated the federal law called the Defense of Marriage Act, which had, as these cases started rolling out in state courts across the country, the Defense of Marriage Act had, had said, tried to say from a federal point of view that for federal law purposes, marriage was between man and a woman. Uh, the Supreme Court invalidated that. And then, of course, in 2015, in the Obergefell case, held, or, or asserted, declared, that uh, that gay marriage was the law uh, under the Constitution, a ridiculous decision. It's as ridiculous now as it was the day that it was uh, entered. But now the Democrats have have uh, detected. You know, they've they've put that win in the bag, and then they've gone. You know, we see things going way further. You see the transgender ideology uh, pervasive. You see uh, in in public schools teachers trying to indoctrinate young kids with it. You see. Uh, the resulting confusion uh, it, in, in alarmingly increasing rates. And then you begin to hear about even crazier stuff like throuples and, uh, and, and polygamy and the like. So th- what this bill would do is not only repeal yeah. the same law that the Supreme Court invalidated, the Defense of Marriage Act, but it would, it would require every state in the nation to give full respect and effect to any crazy idea of marriage that any other state, say Vermont or some, you know, someplace like that might come up with. So it's a very damaging thing. And it keeps pushing the culture deeper into destruction of the marriage of the family unit. And that undermines societal stability. You know, it is important, I think, to understand the history of this issue. For those of us who were involved in the debates around the definition of marriage a decade or so ago, we were called alarmists for suggesting that religious freedom might be affected. Now it's the expectation that religious freedom would be affected. And now we see people defending the idea that adults should be able to twerk in front of five-year-olds and people should be okay with that. If anything, the risks of this were understated at the time that marriage was being debated. The definition was was being uh, debated. But now, as you know, this week, 47 of your House Republican colleagues sided with the Democrats in voting to repeal, effectively in state statute, the Defense of Marriage Act. Do you see that as a a pragmatic political decision that's going to help them in their upcoming elections? Or have they taken a trap, fallen into a trap set by Nancy Pelosi? First point I want to say, Joseph, is how absolutely astute and correct you are in what you just how you just summed it up. But as to the political impact and Republicans decision making, it, it, it this is a, a, a tremendous misunderstanding. Republicans seem to want to worry about what the what the uh, mainstream press will say about them or whatever. who they need, need to be worried about is Americans of traditional values who are tired of being steamrolled by government. 
they they expect Republicans to stand up for them, and they're and they're you know they they become uh, exhausted and frustrated trying to support Republicans when Republicans seem to bail on them at, at, at the first. You know, the, it can be so easily stampeded. We're getting ready to see the United States Senate take up this bill. We've seen several senators, including Senator Tillis from my state, announce he'll support it, several Republicans. That cannot happen. Um, and, and I hope that the American people will be speaking up, contacting their senators and telling them, do not support this radical bill. Forty-seven of my colleagues shouldn't have done it in the House. Yeah. And that's a great reminder for everyone watching and listening. You can go to frcaction.org slash marriage right now. There's an action center that will make it really simple for you to connect with your members of Congress and share your perspective on this issue. We encourage you to do so. Again, the website is frcaction.org slash marriage. Now, Senator Schumer this week had to say that he, he believes that this measure is important because of Republican plans. Let's go ahead and play clip four, and then, Congressman, I want you to respond to this. The MAGA Republicans that are taking over the Republican Party have made it abundantly clear they're not satisfied with repealing Roe. As many have openly said, they have now turned their attention now on the Obergefell decision and marriage equality. Congressman Bishop, what's your reaction to that? Well, I don't know that anybody's turned their attention to Obergefell. It's hard for me to see exactly what the route would be to take on Obergefell, but I think they may have given it to us. So, in other words, when they pass this new law, that the, yeah. let me tell you, Joseph, the one thing the federal, the founders of the of the republic did not do was confer on the federal Congress the power to decide what marriage is. So they may have opened the window to an attack or to a challenge to Obergefell. That'd be just fine with me. But I don't think there's any such plan. I think it's this Democrat hysteria, and they want to use the opportunity to try to drive their social agenda farther. And, uh, and again, Republicans should have enough sense to stand up to that. I certainly agree with that, and I know many Americans do. Congressman Bishop, one other subject I wanted to discuss with you this week. Uh, the House also passed legislation, emergency legislation in their mind. They suspended the rules to do so, uh, creating the so-called right to contraception. What's your reaction to what they're trying to do there? Uh, same sort of deal. In, in that case, Joseph, what, they, what, what is obviously uh, possible under the bill they offered is that the uh, so-called chemical abortion drugs that, that they want to uh, they want to be able to move abortion to a point that state governments uh, that people in their states cannot have a say as the Supreme Court has said rightfully that that's where the decision belongs they want to sort of drive it underground so that Planned Parenthood and the abortion industry can find a way to facilitate abortion by other means. And, and, they, and so they talk about contraception. It's way beyond contraception. They want to use it as a backdoor to, uh, to uh, forcing in abortion, even in those states that may decide to limit or, or ban it. And there's another really important part of that legislation that people need to understand is the Democrat leadership wrote into this bill that it would supersede the Religious Freedom Restoration Act. And that, of course, is legislation from 1993 that said the government could not compel people to do things that violated their conscience. And this legislation specifically says that doctors or pharmacists 
can be required to do things that violate their conscience when it comes to the provision of abortifacients, chemical abortion drugs, things like that. Do you agree that the real goal here is to try to distract people about contra- contraception and then also, but really they want to just get at the religious freedom issue and be able to force people to do things that present law says they are free to do? Again, Joseph, I think you have it exactly right. There are a, a, a number of it's a Trojan horse in a number of respects, and the one you just articulated is is one. It's interesting when the uh, uh, when RIFRA passed in 1993, it passed on voice vote in in both chambers. In other words, essentially unanimously, unanimous consent in effect, and uh, it, it has been an, an extraordinarily important law for many reasons, but Democrats now despise it. They despise they despise your right under the First Amendment to worship, just as they despise your right to keep and bear arms under the Second Amendment. They really don't like conservatives having the right to speak under the First Amendment. So, uh, you know, it's a, it's a constant and uh, attack on rights. They seem that they like to cloak it or costume or disguise it so that it seems less alarming. But believe me, they are coming for your rights, especially Christians especially congressman dan bishop thank you so much for your time today we greatly appreciate your leadership as always thank you joseph it's a pleasure being with you thanks for being one more thing about that religious freedom restoration act senator chuck schumer who's going to be taking actions to revoke it he was a sponsor of it when as a member of the house in 1993 Coming up after the break, we're going to talk more about what it would mean if Congress did decide to redefine marriage in federal laws. Would you like to spend consistent time in God's Word? Then join Family Research Council on an exciting journey through the Bible. FRC's two-year Bible reading plan helps you to approach daily Bible reading intentionally. You will dive deeper into the nature of God and how his word speaks into cultural issues of today. All wisdom comes from God, and he has given us the Bible as a way to understand the world. His word is necessary in our lives, so much so that Christ said, we are to live on every word that comes from the mouth of God. He calls it our daily bread, because we need it daily to sustain us and nourish us spiritually, just like food does physically. Start this adventure today with Family Research Council. When you sign up, we'll text you with daily passages and questions that help prepare you for conversations with your friends and family. To begin this journey, visit frc.org slash Bible. First Peter 3.15 instructs us to always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks for a reason for the hope that we have. The mission of FRC's online center for biblical worldview is to carry out that first by training Christians to advance and defend the faith in their families, communities, and the public square, as now more than ever, we need to be grounded in the truth of God's word. The Center for Biblical Worldview provides amazing written resources for a wide range of relevant issues, including biblical stances on voting, religious liberty, abortion, marriage, and sexuality. Each of these topics comes as a free downloadable PDF version, abbreviated version, and Spanish translation, along with a prayer guide. To access this written series or to sign up for the Center for Biblical Worldview's monthly newsletter, visit frc.org worldview.
Did you know that from as early as 12 weeks, and certainly by 20 weeks, an unborn child can feel pain? Did you know the issue of pornography is growing among women? Did you know that pornography, sex trafficking, and abortion are all linked and on the rise across the globe? Issues such as pornography, human trafficking, drug legalization, and abortion are all violations of human dignity and have resulted in the devaluation of human life in our culture. Family Research Council stands firm on the principle that every life has value, ought to be respected, and has been designed for a unique purpose. Educate yourself on the harms of pornography, human trafficking, and abortion so that you can offer hope and help. Learn more at frc.org forward slash life. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Joseph Backholm sitting in for Tony today, and it is my pleasure to be with you. We are coming to you today from Phoenix Seminary, where we have been gathering with family policy councils here in the great state of Arizona all week. So if it looks different, that's why. As we discussed last segment, what should be known as the disrespect for marriage passed in the House earlier this week, and it did so with the support of 47 Republicans in the House. Now, some Republican voters might find themselves wondering why we shouldn't just move on from such a divisive issue, particularly with midterm elections approaching. Well, joining me now to discuss the threats to religious freedom from redefining marriage is Mary Rice Hassan. She's a senior fellow at the Ethics and Public Policy Center in Washington, D.C. Mary, welcome to Washington Watch. Thank you very much. Wonderful to be on with you. It's good to have you. And very quickly, first, I want to just give a history lesson. In your judgment, as you've observed this debate and the impact on the culture, what has the impact to religious freedom been from the redefinition of marriage in Obergefell? It's had a huge impact. And I think we are seeing that play out even in ways that are magnified from year to year. I think in the beginning, everyone thought, okay, now this The few people who want same-sex marriage, it's not going to bother anyone else. And that has proved to be untrue because what instead what we see is an attempt to enforce an ideology to require others to accept this view of marriage, to act as if they believe that marriage constitutes or, or that sexual difference is not essential to marriage. And so there is a repressive effort to try to uh, characterize people of conscience who don't want to participate in a same-sex marriage, to characterize that as an unconstitutional refusal of someone's constitutional right. So we have a, um, a war of words, but we have a war where the law and the power of the law is being brought to bear on religious believers and making it very difficult for people who believe in the truth about marriage to either speak that truth or to act upon it in public life. Now, Mary, if already the situation in the in the wake of Obergefell, is this debate over repealing DOMA in state law, is this symbolic or would it have a further corrosive effect on religious freedom for Americans? So there are a couple of things going on. You have to realize the Democrats never do anything just to keep the status quo. So the desire to enshrine Obergefell 
the right to a same-sex marriage, as they would phrase it, or marriage equality, is really a cover to go further. So if you look at the language of this Respect for Marriage Act, in many respects, it creates federalism problems, but even the language of how marriage is defined is not as straightforward as you would expect. So what we can expect is that the Democrats will stay true to their playbook, which is to always be pushing for the next best, next best thing from, from their ideological perspective. So I think that's an important thing for uh, people of faith to realize. This isn't as simple as saying, well, it just doesn't change the status quo. It's an attempt by uh, those who support not just same-sex marriage, but polygamous marriage, polyamory, uh, all sorts of variations to push this on down into our culture. And, and we see how that plays out in schools. We see how it plays out in the cultural dialogue. Whatever the law baptizes, if you will, becomes the norm. It becomes the standard that is being taught. Mary, there has been some concern, and to your point there about the, the norm and what is being taught in the past, the Supreme Court has looked to national public policy when it came very specifically to the loss of tax-exempt status for certain organizations. And they've said, you are in violation of this national policy, therefore you could lose your tax-exempt status. Do you have any concern that officially in state stat or in federal statute re redefining marriage could lead to the loss of tax-exempt status for organizations who, because of their faith, are compelled to disagree? Yeah, I do. I do. Because we heard that even in the Supreme Court arguments at the time, that that was acknowledged that this could be one of the ramifications down the line. And so we have to understand that mm. the objective for those who are pushing same-sex marriage is not just to acquire the right to get a piece of paper and to have a celebration, et cetera, which was sort of the promise, it, it's much more than that. It is to shut down and silence those who believe otherwise. And that will translate into taking away tax benefits or tax exemptions or any other uh, contact point with the federal government or a state government because these views will be viewed, biblical views will be demonized as somehow hateful and intolerant. Positive things with respect to religious freedom. And some of us are hoping that that defense is, is going to remain. Do you, do you think it's reasonable to expect that the potential threats to religious freedom are now muted because of the Supreme Court as it is, is constituted presently? No, I don't. I think it's important to, for us to put forward the truth, to protect our religious freedom in every forum, whether it's at the level of state legislators, whether it's in state courts, as well as continuing to litigate cases in the federal arena. Because as we've seen, the, the makeup of the Supreme Court can shift very quickly. So nothing's guaranteed. We have to be working on the level of public policy both to protect religious freedom, but we also have to be working within our churches and within our, our neighborhoods to cultivate an appreciation of how vital this freedom is to our nation's fabric, to the, the life we share together, no matter what someone believes. 
It is critical to the fabric of our freedom. So we have to do that educational piece as well as litigating. And we can't sit back and just assume that it's all taken care of. Mary Rice Hassan, the Ethics and Public Policy Center. Thank you so much for your time today. Greatly appreciate it. Thank you. And she makes an excellent point there. It's not just about defending religious freedom. It's also about defending the truth of marriage. That argument must be made regardless of the impact or no impact on our religious freedom. Coming up next, a Republican member of Congress who voted against the effort to redefine marriage will talk about how this issue is affecting his caucus. What's his and all of us moving forward? Congressman Bob Good joins us when we return here on Washington Watch. Are you a university student? Do you know a university student, specifically one who wants to grow as a Christian leader to positively influence public policy and the culture? Look no further. Family Research Council has a life-changing 12 to 15 week internship program that has prepared and equipped students to take the next step in their professional journey. With a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, and weekly biblical worldview training, students will grow in personal and professional development. Interns have the opportunity to work in policy, communications, event planning, and more. They will gain real-world experience working directly with our experts who will guide them in pursuing careers of influence so that they can make a difference wherever God calls. This paid internship offers fully funded housing in the heart of downtown D.C., giving you the chance to experience our nation's capital. Visit frc.org internships to apply. What is biblical masculinity? In our culture of gender confusion, there aren't many examples of godly manhood. Men, husbands, and fathers need to find a model of godly manhood, leadership, and strength. But where can they find it in our culture? Stand Courageous Men's Ministry was created to help men find this model of godly manhood and to develop a strong biblical character, cultivate positive habits, build and rebuild relationships, and make commitments that will move men closer to God's good purpose and design. Men who will stand courageous. Join us at a Stand Courageous Men's Conference to discuss critical aspects of masculinity. These conferences are led by men who understand the issues men face. They unpack our role as a defender, provider, instructor, and battle buddy so that we can make an influence as a chaplain inside and outside the home. Learn more and find a Stand Courageous event near you at StandCourageous.com. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Joseph Backholm sitting in for Tony today. Reminder that the website is TonyPerkins.com. Our next guest is a self-described biblical conservative who was elected to Congress in 2018, in part due to his strong pro-life and pro-family values. Congressman Bob Good joins me now to discuss why the GOP must fight the bill codifying the redefinition of marriage into federal law. He serves on the House Committee on Education and Labor, the House Budget Committee, and he represents the 5th District of Virginia. Congressman Good, welcome back to Washington Watch. Great to be with you, Joseph. Thanks for having me again. Thank you for your time. Tell us, why do you think that repealing DOMA has become such a priority issue for the Democrats so suddenly? 
It's just a continuation, as you know, and the war on our foundational principles, our Judeo-Christian principles upon which our nation was founded, our respect for religious freedom, our respect for the importance of the family, uh, the importance of biblical principles. You know, I have said often in speeches and interviews and even on the House floor that almost everything that plagues our culture is a failure to follow God's design for marriage, God's design for morality, and God's design for the family. And so the left, of course, doesn't believe that. And you see this relentless assault for these last 60 years on the foundations that, that uphold who we are as a nation. And you see that certainly with marriage. And, you know, it has served us for 5,000 years, uh, the, the institution of marriage, the way that God defined it. And I was asked on the Capitol steps uh, just yesterday as I was leaving the boat, you know, why did I have the view that I have on marriage? I said, God, I, I accept God's definition of marriage. He knew what he was doing when he created and ordained the institution. And that's good enough for me. Well, I think that's a really good answer. And this does go back to Genesis chapter three. And the, and the question that was asked when sin entered the world, did God really say? And if, since then, we have all been discussing whether God actually knows what he's talking about or whether we are smarter than him. But as you know, uh, this is not a uh, just a one party issue. Forty seven members of the Republican House caucus voted for this. How is that affecting your caucus? Tell us about the conversations that you've been having. What do you think this means going forward? Well, I was very disappointed that any Republicans would vote uh uh, for this bill. And uh, I was disappointed to see that 47 of my colleagues did. I, I mean, you can look at it and say, well, 75 percent of us voted uh, against it, but we ought to have been at 100 percent as a Republican caucus. We ought to stand boldly and unashamedly for biblical principles, for our foundational Judeo-Christian principles, for the importance of the family. And uh, we ought to resist efforts to redefine the family. You know, appeasement never works with the left. And, you know, you look back to the 1970s when this became an issue, when the, the gay rights issue began to emerge. And there was predictions, as you know, Joseph, on where this would take us, that it would be a slippery slope and a, and a, a, a descent into the abyss, if you will, morally. And we've seen that happen now, where the Democrat Party is about everything transgender, everything sexual orientation, what they're trying to do in our schools, what they're trying to do with our military. Uh, how they want to define everything in those terms and make every issue about that. And so uh, they will not be appeased. And we cannot think that, you know, that appeasement works. We need to stand on truth. We need to stand on principle and do yeah. so unashamedly and unapologetically. You know, Congressman, your colleague, uh, Congressman Dan Bishop, was with us earlier in the show, and, and we discussed how the slippery slope of same-sex marriage that was being debated in 2008 to 2012 has turned out to be much slipperier than anyone dared to predict at the time. And we really have seen that effect. But your another one of your colleagues, uh, Chip Roy, seem to indicate that he thinks it's a good thing that this is now being debated in Congress rather than the Supreme Court. Let's go ahead and play uh, clip five, and then I want you to respond to that. Just thank my colleagues for recognizing the importance of the democratic process, that we're here as the people's representatives having a debate about policy rather than looking to the Supreme Court to make policy. Suddenly now that the court doesn't issue an opinion that my colleagues favor, Congressman Good, what's your response? Well, what was one of the things that was so wrong with the Oberfeld decision, in addition to my belief, of course, again, strongly in the principles of biblical marriage, but the, the, the court was doing for the left what they could not do through a legislative process. Even in states like California, they couldn't pass measures 
uh, to, to uh, redefine marriage, and he certainly couldn't in my home state here in Virginia. And so you had the court overreaching, of course, in 2015 and making law from the bench, stripping away the constitutional process and stripping away from the people's representatives the uh, constitutional authority and the constitutional responsibility to make law. And so that's what was wrong with that decision, in addition to me disagreeing with the morality of it. But it, it was the court overstepping its bounds. And I'm thankful that uh, we had an overturning of the most monumental, uh, devastating, catastrophic decision in the history of the United States with uh, the Roe v. Wade decision. And thankfully, the only decision that's ever cost 63 million lives has finally been overturned. But it's given us the opportunity as legislators. And we need to step up to the plate as legislators and, and, and fight yeah. to, to eliminate all abortion in this country. If there is a a silver lining in all of this, I think it is that this is actually being debated in the place it should be debated. And the interference from the Supreme Court that took this away from our elected officials for a long time. And I think it's progress that elected officials feel like they have to be involved. But, Congressman, good last question. How do you think this is going to play out in the Senate in about 30 seconds? I'm very fearful that the Senate is going to supply the 10 votes. I'm hearing uh, behind the scenes that they will have 10 votes for it. I certainly hope that's not the case. Uh, we need to be strong as conservatives and message against that, put as much pressure as we can publicly, and I hope they'll hear from their constituents accordingly. And we hope they will as well, and we're going to tell them how to do that in just a moment. But Congressman Good, thank you so much for your time and your courage and leadership as always. Thank you, Joseph. God bless you. And for those of you who want to follow his advice and contact your members of Congress, specifically your U.S. senators, do that at frcaction.org slash marriage. It really only takes a few seconds once you go to frcaction.org slash marriage. Go there now. Coming up next, a book that honors brave Christians facing persecution for their faith around the world. We'll tell you all about it when we come back here on Washington Watch. What is biblical masculinity? In our culture of gender confusion, there aren't many examples of godly manhood. Men, husbands, and fathers need to find a model of godly manhood, leadership, and strength. But where can they find it in our culture? Stand Courageous Men's Ministry was created to help men find this model of godly manhood and to develop a strong biblical character, cultivate positive habits, build and rebuild relationships, and make commitments that will move men closer to God's good purpose and design men who will stand courageous. Join us at a Stand Courageous Men's Conference to discuss critical aspects of masculinity. These conferences are led by men who understand the issues men face. They unpack our role as a defender, provider, instructor, and battle buddy so that we can make an influence as a chaplain inside and outside the home. Learn more and find a Stand Courageous event near you at StandCourageous.com. With the increase in tech censorship of conservatives and Christians, Family Research Council created a tech subscription platform to be sure we don't go completely dark due to censorship. It is important to us that we stay connected with you and that you stay informed. So if we get canceled, you can still access updates on faith, family, and freedom. How? Just text STAND to 67742 to sign up for our text alerts and you will get FRC's content straight to your phone. Again, just text STAND to 67742 and you will get alerts on the biggest stories of the day. With just a simple text, always have access to our content and stay informed and connected with like-minded community. Text STAND to 67742. 
That's STAND to 67742. Are you a university student? Do you know a university student, specifically one who wants to grow as a Christian leader to positively influence public policy and the culture? Look no further. Family Research Council has a life-changing 12 to 15 week internship program that has prepared and equipped students to take the next step in their professional journey. With a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, and weekly biblical worldview training, students will grow in personal and professional development. Interns have the opportunity to work in policy, communications, event planning, and more. They will gain real-world experience working directly with our experts who will guide them in pursuing careers of influence so that they can make a difference wherever God calls. This paid internship offers fully funded housing in the heart of downtown D.C., giving you the chance to experience our nation's capital. Visit frc.org slash internships to apply. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Joseph back home sitting in Fort Tony today. From Asia to Africa, from the Middle East to Europe and beyond, the global persecution of Christians becomes more ominous with every passing year. In light of that, Family Research Council's Leela Gilbert, Ariel Del Turco, and Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin released a new book called Heroic Faith, Hope Amid Global Persecution, to serve as a tribute to the courageous believers who face grave and often deadly threats yet bravely persevere in their devotion to Jesus. Joining me now to discuss this new book and more is Leela Gilbert. She's the Senior Fellow for International Religious Freedom here at FRC. Leela, welcome back to Washington Watch. Thank you. I'm so glad to see you. It's good to see you. We are so thankful for your diligence in bringing these stories that really don't get enough attention uh, to light. Tell us, what prompted you to write this book? Well, several people thought about the possibility of doing it because uh, there hasn't been a current book about this issue for quite a while. And we had a lot of stories and we had access to them. And it's getting so bad in so many places that I think for me, it just seemed like time to instruct and inform American Christians and Western Christians about what's really going on in the rest of the world and how difficult these situations are really massacres of people, terrible things are happening, and they're not really reported much here. So I thought it was a good time myself, and there were others as well that thought it would be a good idea. I know this book includes a lot of stories, and one of them is Leah Sherabu, who's still being held by Boko Haram. Her story is a particular focus in the book. Tell us a little bit about her and why why hers is a story that you want people to know about. Well, one of the main reasons is because she represents so many other kidnapped women and girls, particularly in Africa and the Middle East. Leah was kidnapped in 2018 by Boko Haram. She was the only Christian that wouldn't uh, deny her faith. Some of the other girls were Christian, apparently, but most of them were Muslim girls. But she refused to deny her faith, and she was not released. Many of the others were. And she still remains in captivity today, uh, kept by uh, the warlords of that group. And uh, we pray for her. We still see that she's being held, and now she has two children. 
uh, by this warlord. And so it's a tragic, horrible situation. It represents, as I said, so many other women and girls, but many priests, many pastors as well, that are being treated so abusively in that country, in Nigeria, with really no response from the rest of the world. But we also write about the Middle East, and we write about, uh, we have written quite a few stories from there, and China, so we have Asia, we have Africa, we have the Middle East, and then there's a separate chapter on Afghanistan because of the current situation there of so many Christians still needing to get out of there because of persecution. Leela, as you have surveyed, as you just described, the entire globe really to tell these stories, have you noticed any patterns of the conditions that really lead to uh, persecution for people's faith? The two primary uh, problems are with radical Islam and with totalitarian governments, many of which are either communist or formerly communist, and the dictatorships of, of individuals who want to have things their way. But I would say most of what I've seen has been radical Islam, except in China and, and Asia. So we have these elements that, that lead to random captivities, some of them by these uh, groups like Boko Haram, Fulani radicals, various groups, and some of them are state-sponsored, uh, as in China, and some of the Middle Eastern countries, like Iran, it's very much state-sponsored. In fact, I just learned that uh, one-third of the arrests in the last few months of Christians in Iran have been by the Iranian army, or the Iranian, excuse me, the Iranian army itself, and they are also reaching out to other countries going after Christians. So they really find Christianity be, to be quite a threat to them. Now, Leela, one of the things that happens when we read these stories is we just become grateful because despite the legitimate and serious concerns there are about religious freedom in the United States. It is in a different class altogether than what so many other people around the globe are experiencing. In addition to just being grateful to praying for those who are being persecuted around the globe, are there things that Americans should learn from this about our experience that we should actually be applying? Are there lessons that Americans should understand uh, from the stories of people around the, the, the world? One of the things I thought about a lot when we were working on the book was how well we have it here. We do have issues with our churches, with religion. We know we have political threats, but we live well. We, we have wonderful freedoms here. And what I thought of was that we should be making a point of trying to reach out to these people in any way we can, through prayer, of course. But one thing that we've done at FRC is work with government officials and try to influence our government toward making a difference in countries like this. And really, uh, there are organizations that we can support that actually work on the ground in such places. There's so many things we can do, but I think it begins with us realizing that we are the hands that can help. And we need to find out more about what we can actually do, who we can support, and who we can inform about what's really going on in most of the world. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. And, and Leela, we are grateful for this. I'm excited to get our hands on this. I know this is just released. Tell people where they can get a copy of your book. 
Well, FRC is making it available through a link, and it can be ordered through frc.org slash heroicfaith. And so going to that link on a computer, you can find opportunities to get the book. And I, I hope people will read it. I think it's, it's a good education for us all, whether we wrote on it or whether we actually have lived in America so freely and so well. And it's a good reminder not to take our freedoms for granted. We're thankful for your efforts on that, as well as those of Ariel Del Turco and Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin, uh, the co-authors with you. But Lila Gilbert, we appreciate your efforts, your diligence on this critical but underrated issue and your time today. Thank you so much. Thank you. Coming up next, we are going to continue our conversation about the surprising debate over marriage in Washington, D.C. this week with David Clausen, who is the director of the Center for Biblical Worldview. David, welcome to the show. Hey, great to be with you. Happy Friday, Joseph, and glad we're talking about this issue. It's a, a critical issue. Uh, bill was introduced Monday, and the House has already passed it, so uh, it's moving fast, so I think it's important for conversations like this uh, to unpack what actually happened and why this is significant. Yeah, you're right about that. And it is, this is a surprising discussion. And we talked about this on the show already today, but I'll, I'll set up our conversation with a couple of these points is that I really think it's good that our political branch is having this conversation because for the last, you know, arguably 50 years since Roe, most of the policy changes that have happened in America have not happened through our political branches, but through our judicial branch. And with the current Supreme Court majority really reigning in the power of the Supreme Court, the debate has gone over uh, to our political branch again. And I think that itself is progress. But the developments of this week have shown us that there are challenges because not only did every Democrat vote to repeal the Defense of Marriage Act, but 47 House Republicans did so as well. And David, that has a lot of people wondering, why should we care about this? Okay, the culture has shifted. Polls say that a majority of Americans support same-sex marriage. You know, love is love, live and let live, yada, yada, yada. Why should Christians want to relitigate this issue that's just divisive and makes people not like Christians? Yeah, it's a great question, Joseph. And I think uh, fundamentally this is an issue of truth. Uh, the issue of marriage uh, is something that is... Uh, pre-political. Uh, this is an institution that is at the bedrock of society. And it's true, seven years post-Obergefell, it almost seems uh, like, you know, everyone is fine with gay marriage and not. Uh, but the truth is, Joseph, uh, you know, when Obergefell was passed in 2015, we were only the 23rd nation out of 195 countries in the world uh, to legalize same-sex marriage. Seven years later, the year is 2022, that number is only 33 countries. Only 33 countries out of 195 uh, have overturned this, you know, millennial, uh, you know, for what we've believed about uh, marriage uh, for 5,000 years. And so although it some, kind of seems like a settled issue in some parts of American political discourse, uh, we are actually still an outlier when you think about marriage. And so uh, this issue matters, Joseph, because families matter, communities matter, uh, the stabilization of uh, countries matter. Uh, this matters because children matter. Um, and, of course, as Christians, this matters uh, because 
having an uh, unbiblical definition of marriage uh, tells us a lie about the relationship between God and his people and his church. Uh, so on many levels, uh, this issue matters as, as well as the religious liberty angle. I know earlier in the show you talked about uh, religious liberty being threatened uh, by this continuing uh, going down the slippery slope. Uh, all of these issues, Joseph, is why this issue matters which is why people need to be engaged and be engaging with their U.S. Uh, senators now uh, because this is going to be coming to the Senate soon and folks really need to tune in. You know that you provide some helpful context there because out of the 195 nations, only 33 to this point have decided that gender doesn't matter in the institution of marriage and you can marry whoever you want. Now, it's also true that as Christians, we understand that even if all 195 nations had adopted same-sex marriage, it would still be our responsibility to be on God's side of the issue. But I think it's important to understand that globally speaking, it's still a minority position because there's a lot of people who have not adopted kind of the the wokeness of uh, universities in the West um, when it comes to what men and women are and what marriage is and what the family is. I do think that's important context. But this is happening... In a legal context, this debate, there's a lot of people, David, who would say, well, you can't change the biblical definition of marriage legally. There's a difference between what the government says and what the Bible says. So what the you know Congress or the Supreme Court say has no effect on God's definition of marriage. I agree with God's definition of marriage. I'm just going to be basically indifferent to the legal definition of marriage. What's your response to that? Yeah, my my response to that is the same arguments that a lot of us made in 2015 in the lead-up to Obergefell, um, is that marriage as a pre-political institution, this is the basis for strong civilizations. I think it was Justice Alito in his Obergefell dissent uh, pointed out the fact that for millennia, uh, the reason uh, the state has wanted to be involved in marriage is because they care about children. And what's happened with the redefinition of marriage is that we are prioritizing adult sexual desires, adult sexual, uh, this desire for adult happiness, uh, desires for adult companionship over the legitimate uh, rights and needs of children. Right before the show, Joseph, I actually pulled up the U.N. Convention on the Rights of Children passed in 1989. And one of the things that the U.N. said is that uh, children have the right uh, to be to know and be cared for by his or her parents, uh, whether it's the U.N. or whether it's ancient cultures that may have been fine with homosexuality. Uh, cultures throughout time and space have recognized uh, that marriage uh, provides that stability uh, that children need to be able to grow up to be uh, functioning and flourishing and healthy adults. Uh, so for just for that reason, uh, I think marriage is a battle that uh, those of us who are conservatives, those of us who are Christians need to engage in uh, just to realize what's happening. The, the uh, sexual desires and happiness of adults uh, has supplanted and replaced uh, the well-being of children and uh, that's a big deal, and that's going to have ramifications generations down the line if we continue to think about marriage in those terms. That's a really excellent point. In order to accept the premise that relationships involving people of the same sex are in every way the same as relationships involving people of the opposite sex, you have to accept the premise that it's irrelevant for children if they grow up with their biological mother and father. And that's a necessary conclusion of the idea that those relationships are in every way the same. But 
everyone's lived experience and loads of social science uh, demonstrate that it matters if kids know their mother and father, their biological mother and father, and separating them from their parents has an impact on their lives that is not beneficial. Now, David, we've heard the argument this week saying, well, the conservative thing to do is to be supportive of liberty. And being supportive of liberty is supporting people's idea to love and marry whoever they want. Do you think it's important for Christians to try to be conservatives? I do. I think conservatives ultimately want to conserve or preserve ideas and values and institutions uh, that promote human flourishing. I think we we are people who are in favor of liberty, but that's ordered liberty, uh, that we support ideas and values and institutions that are going to bring about ultimate human flourishing. And just briefly, as as Christians, Joseph, uh, we affirm marriage as the institution between one man and one woman because that's what God has told us is his idea uh, that will bring about that flourishing for families, communities, and nations. Uh, So as conservatives, we should be in favor of a strong marriage culture. And as Christians, we need to support marriage uh, because Genesis 2.24 makes it very clear how God sees marriage, which ultimately reflects his relationship with his people. Conserving anything worth conserving means we conserve the institutions and the ideas that lead to human flourishing. Marriage is the foundation of that. But it's also important for Christians to understand we need to be Christians before we're conservatives. So if we're given a definition of conservative that conflicts with the definition of Christian, we go with Christian. David Clausen, thanks so much for your time today. Thank you, Joseph. And friends, we thank you for being with us today. The show wouldn't be possible with you. We're grateful for your time each and every day here on Washington Watch. We look forward to seeing you again on Monday. Until then, fear God and nothing else. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.